Hello, and welcome to another episode of Rainbow Road. I am Travis Ryans, and I'm joined by my co-host, Mike Deneen. Mike, how you doing, buddy? Oh, pretty good, thanks. Yeah, and just surviving this heat wave? Oh my god, it's so hot. Yeah, hiding in this recording booth without any air is uh, a challenge. Uh, we decided to forego our usual audio quality and we put a fan in the room because we just can't deal. You know, it's funny because I turned off my air conditioner because the last episode we did, I heard it like in the background. I'm going to try it with it off and then we'll see if I end up melting, you know, we'll just, <laughs> Matt will just have to try to do some noise reduction or something. Oh, well, we'll do what we can. Um... Today, we are joined by Ashley Cooper again. Thank you so much for joining us, Ashley. Hey, hey. Hey, Ashley. Ashley is a streamer, a comedian, a writer for games and television, and just all-around wonderful person. Thank you so much for coming back, Ashley. Happy to be here. As well as we are joined for the first time by Kaya Green. Kaya is a performer and writer. Thank you so much for joining us, Kaya. Oh, my pleasure. All right. So today, we are talking about the one, the only, Last of Us. Released in 2013, Last of Us is an action-adventure game set during a sort of zombie apocalypse. The story follows the path of Joel Miller, a man who loses his daughter at the start of the outbreak. 20 years on, he must escort Ellie, a girl who has an immunity to the infection, to a group of rebels known as Fireflies, who claim they can use her to make a cure. It is slightly different from your standard zombie fare in that the infection is based on an actual cordyceps fungus that does exist in real life, but usually affects ants. Last of Us set a new standard for cinematic storytelling in video games and was widely beloved. It is not an uncommon phrase in gaming circles to refer to it as the Citizen Kane of gaming. A prequel DLC was released called Left Behind, and just last week, Last of Us got its much-awaited sequel. Now, this is a narrative-heavy game, and we will not be holding back from spoilers for the first game or its prequel DLC. You are safe from the sequel until a future episode. So, Mike, you were the one to finish it the most recently, and by that I mean, like, just now. I did, yeah. <laughs> so I, I I was telling Travis in our in our digital green room, like, I stayed up until sunrise trying to finish this game, but I got, like, two-thirds of the way through, and then I just watched the rest of the cutscenes on YouTube. Uh, but it was worth it, you know? The story was so good, and even though it was sort of my least favorite type of gameplay, which is, like, the stealth and survival... But the the narrative itself was so compelling, like the character development and the world was so immersive and, and you know, just the cinematic nature of the game. It made it worth playing. I, it really did. So I, I was really glad I got to try this out. So thank you for the opportunity. No, I'm, I'm so glad we were able to do an episode on this. And what uh, great timing, because we uh, are hopefully all going to play the sequel very soon, um, mm-hmm. as seeing as it's just come out. It was really weird to play this game also because... It just feels like what could have been real if COVID were, like, a little bit more serious, you know? Yeah. Like, it just felt like this could have been, like, an alternate timeline, and I think that added to, like, the the eeriness of the game. Yeah, this is a very weird time to be playing that game for the first time. <laughs> yeah. There's signs everywhere being like, oh, you can't go here because of COVID. Like, you can't do this, you can't do this. And, like, like caution tape around playgrounds yeah. and stuff like that. It's like... This all looks too familiar in a very bad way. There's like similarities too in that like anybody who's watched a zombie anything knows that you stay the fuck out of the cities. Am I allowed to swear? Yeah. Oh, you are absolutely allowed. You were encouraged actually. Oh, you fucking stay out of those fucking cities. (laughs) And that, yeah, it's interesting to see people like fleeing to the country now uh, mid pandemic and being like, yeah, no fair. Because obviously 
The cities are the danger zones. It's like, I've seen this movie. I agree. 100%. It's like, I would do the same if I was rich and owned a cottage. I mean, we didn't really get to see a lot of stuff, like, immediately post-outbreak. Uh, do you feel like they probably had people running around refusing to wear their gas masks around the spores and being like, I don't believe it exists. This is 100%. a 5G. Of course there were. <laughs> oh, that's so depressing. There are dumb people in every universe. If you make a universe and there's no dumb people, then flesh it out a little bit. <laughs> And, and even the start of that game, like, it starts off heavy. Like, it's it's like, you know, you're introduced to Joel, this relationship that he has with his daughter. You know, it starts with this very lighthearted moment. And then, you know, within seconds, Joel's whole world has turned around. You know, you're suddenly thrust into the action uh, with, you know, the neighbors bursting through. So I, I feel like that's something that we can relate to, especially now, because you know, this happened, like, boom, you know, we're all working from home. We're all, like, glued to the news. So I feel like having The Last of Us 2 coming out and playing this game now, it's it's perfect. So with that, like, let's let's jump into it, Travis. Yeah, uh, well, I mean, as you said, we start with Sarah, Joel's daughter. Uh, and I think it says a lot about the interactive nature of video games and what choices they made in that we start playing as Sarah and not Joel. Joel is who is our protagonist for the majority of the story, and we were playing as Sarah instead. How did you guys feel about that? Um, you know, getting to play as Sarah and like watching what happened in that prologue. Uh, Kaya, how did you feel? Well, I'll say this first of all, because I think as a writer, obviously, when you create something, you know, there's always going to be some expectation of what that thing is. And I think subverting expectations right off the bat is what a lot of my favorite writers do. And I feel like in a lot of ways, the game did that right out the gate because you know that it's a story about a guy protecting a young girl. That's what you've seen in the trailer. That's what you've seen in the advertisements. So to put you immediately in the spot of this young girl that you assume is going to be a protagonist and then to watch it play out and have her die, I remember feeling actively confused. Like, no, 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 wait, hang on. No, this can't be happening. <laughs> this isn't what, that's not what the story is, which I think really puts you in Joel's position, though I assume he was more sad um, <laughs> um, but yeah, I think it's a very smart, immediate twist of your expectations, which I feel like, uh, the game continues to deliver on as the story goes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Ashley, how did you feel uh, playing that prologue for the first time? Cause it is a gut punch. Yep. I had very much the same sort of experience as Kaya did with the added level that like, I know enough about video game development to know how much work goes into modeling, action, animations, and all that kind of stuff. And so to start the game as this kid who's fully playable, has all these different animations for like opening doors and walk cycles and all these other things, like it definitely sets up this expectation of like, okay, here's one of your heroes. And I kind of, I have this thing that I do with media that I know that I'm interested in where I watch only as much as I need to get excited and then I pretend it doesn't exist until it comes out. Mm -hmm. Trailers give away so much now. Video game sites have always been really bad at this. It's like, oh, gameplay footage of the first 15 minutes of the game that you're going to buy in two weeks. And it's like, I want to experience those 15 minutes with a controller in my hand. I don't want to just play through it knowing everything that's happened because I read IGN. And so like... I watched, I think, the debut trailer, like at E3, the year that it was revealed. And I was like, oh, yeah, no, that's I'm in. And then I basically just did not 
read or watch anything else until it came out. And so I was like, I knew there was a brown haired girl that people said looked like Ellen Page. And I knew there was a scruffy old guy. And I was like, okay, cool. So she starts with blonde hair for whatever reason. Like I literally thought that that was the, the girl on the cover. And I was like, okay, so it's about a dad and his daughter. Sweet. And it, it is, but kind of not. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> Can we talk about that Ellen Page thing, too? Because, like, I, I said the same thing when I opened the game screen, and, like, the first thing he sees this picture of uh, Joel and Ellie. I was like, oh, is did Ellen Page do that? Is she, like, the character in the game? Travis, isn't there some, some sort of, like, beef? Like, didn't... Because her name is Ellie, too, right? Ellen that's the Page thing. Like, literally commented on it on Twitter. Somebody brought it to her attention and was like, is this you? And she was like, wow, nice of them to like rip off my likeness and just not (laughs) approach me about this at all. And then like 24 hours later, backtracked and was like, I I was a little, I was a little harsh. Sorry about that. Actually, the woman that acts as Ellie is like a friend and she's super cool and you guys should leave her the fuck alone. <laughs> uh, okay, okay, good. Yeah. Not not to mention, I just, I have to state for the record, Ellen Page, though wonderful and beautiful in many unique ways, is a uh, medium-sized white lady with brown hair. And slight build. And slight build, and yeah. looks like a lot of people. <laughs> yes. That's, yeah, that's totally fair. Like, okay. Yeah. <laughs> like, Ellen Page at Pride is where's Waldo for queers. Like, you know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 100%. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. Especially if she's wearing plaid, you're fucked. <laughs> just, just screwed. Well, it's also funny because she had a game coming out around the same time. I want to say, I you know, I need to look. That oh up. yeah, Beyond Two Souls. Yeah, yeah, Beyond Two Souls, where she actually had her exact likeness put into the game. Yeah, and everyone was like, "Are you trying to capitalize off that?" Like everyone knows Ellen Page is doing a video game, and they're not going to know the difference, but. It's also funny that they ended up making the character queer because, you know, let's just make her more Ellen Page. <laughs> yeah. And I, I heard they were going to do some DLC where she starred in like X-Men and Hard Candy. But <laughs> but yeah, that, what an emotionally devastating opening. Mm-hmm. The thing that I, f- I find so effective about the opening is that we get, what, 90 seconds to establish the dynamic between Sarah and Joel. Yeah. Before the shit hits the fan. And they do it so efficiently that you're like, I love these two. They're great. Like, they have such a healthy relationship. She's like a strong, independent kid. And she's sassy. And he loves it. And like, and then everything goes to hell. And you're heartbroken for Joel. But you're like, how did you do that so well? Yeah. Like, if you if you killed a, a character five minutes into a movie, you'd be like, okay, like, Human plot point, gone. Yeah, Yeah. it's just a red shirt. Yeah, a red shirt, exactly. But they did such a great job, and it baffles me. Like, I've beaten the game, like, five times, and I'm still in awe at how effective that opening is and its level of momentum. Yeah. It's a really great storytelling microcosm. It starts small. Joel and the kid have this really healthy dynamic. She goes to bed. And then something weird is happening. And then there's an infected person. Joel kills it. Okay, everything has changed. Get into the truck with Tommy. Start riding. The barn is on fire. What the fuck is happening? The highway is shut down. What is going on? Divert into the city where it looks like a riot is happening. Like just every single little step of the opening escalates tenfold until Sarah is dead. And you're like, what? did I just sign up for? 
Yeah, and I think it's it's fair to say too that part of what makes that so effective is the escalation is so steady and not always uh, the kind of escalation you expect in a video game. A lot of the time, the escalation approaches that people take when they're writing interactive media is that the escalation has to involve you fighting shit. Yeah, yeah, you, absolutely. You don't throw a single punch or shoot a single bullet in the entire opening. But even just like riding in the car and looking out the window is an escalation. Yes. You're not just waiting to get to the next fight. It like, it ratchets the tension up at such a pace that it's like both steady and completely unnerving. It understands that escalation can be emotional. Yes. Mm-hmm. yes. Yeah, it's funny because I started playing this game on my own and uh, and I realized very quickly that I was going to need my partner to sit with me while I played it because <laughs> I was so freaked out. Like just that opening. And I'm like, there is zero shame in that. I, I literally called. I was like, I was like, babe, um. I think I might need you to sit with me while I play this game. Yeah. Well, the first time I ever played it, I played it with a group of friends and we all just like piled into our house uh, and just played all the way through it in two days. And whenever somebody would get like too burnt out or whatever, we'd hand the controller to someone else and just watch. I had to do that too. <laughs> That's how I played Silent Hill too. It's honestly a great way to yeah, play games. You know, it's, it's good because the the burden of responsibility slash terror just kind of you, you kind of hand the mantle off, you know, and then and then you get to yeah. work through. I was just gonna say, um, mm-hmm. Ashley mentioned sort of the efficiency of storytelling, how much they managed to get across in so little, and I think that is a recurring theme throughout the game naughty dog storytelling is so compact and efficient and i think that takes us over to our next character which is tess tess is not with us for very long you know press f to pay respects but (laughs) she still has such a strong identifiable character and a great dynamic with joel such a relationship with joel that is said with so little i think that line that she says right before she sort of shoves joel away is there has to be enough here that you feel some sort of responsibility to me. And that one line says so much about the fact that they clearly have feelings for each other. They both know that the other person does, but they've also never expressed them Mm -hmm. that it is just something that they've sort of accepted as a quiet, silent part of their relationship. And now it's too late to do anything about it. Right. I I think there's so much crammed into that one line and I just, I really love it. I think it's so wonderful. Um, How did you guys feel about Tess, especially because she's sort of our first major female character uh, coming into it? Ashley? She is the second person in the game that I thought was a main character who then swiftly died. (laughs) (laughs) She's she's another red shirt. I was like, okay, so it's going to be about Joel and Tess and the girl, right? And then she died. And I was like, what the fuck? That's the game. (laughs) I love Tess, though. She's so great. I love that it's not a one-to-one comparison, but I'm going to use it anyway because this is a gay show. If there's a dominant sub in the (laughs) Tess-Joel dynamic, Tess is the dom. You know what I mean? That is correct. And I love that about it. You know, she's the one that drives the action in the early parts of the game. Mm -hmm. Joel is following her lead. Without question, without any weird macho bullshit. Yeah. And what I find very fascinating about it, and it's a theme that keeps coming up in this world later, is that 
her emotional attachment is eventually what gets her killed. Yeah. Yeah. And she does the thing where she t- she takes the the heroic stand too. She's like, you know, I'm gonna yes. I'm gonna sacrifice myself. I'm gonna buy you more time. Like just go. Yeah. Which is normally a role reserved for the the manly men. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, I didn't I didn't even think about that. What I really appreciate about seeing in female characters is, and I think it's something that Ashley said. There is no macho bullshit coming from Joel about it, and I feel like that tension is something that a lot of people will exploit to show how strong a female character is. They'll have a man telling her no and her doing it anyways. Yes. And that's what shows that she's strong and it's kind of one dimensional at this point. It's a little hollow, but with her, there is no tension. It's just I'm in charge and that's what it is. And yep, yep, nope, okay, fine, sure. I, I really appreciated that and it showed, I think, how real those characters were. Yep. I think it also gives Joel some place to go because if he was just cavorting around the whole first act as guy in charge guy, he wouldn't have any place to sort of find himself to be hippie about it. Yeah. Um, so the idea that he spends this sort of first act not taking responsibility and being a follower so he doesn't have to. He abandoned the idea of taking responsibility for something because taking responsibility means you learn to care for it. So he doesn't have to, like, get attached to anything. Well, and then when she dies, it gives him a reason to keep moving forward, right? Like, it wasn't his idea to do this. It wasn't his plan. But because he feels emotionally indebted to Tess, he has to keep going. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then part of his character arc is, like, from begrudging babysitter to father figure, basically. Exactly, yeah. And I think that uh, without that impetus, like, Joel as a character in the first section, if it were not for Tess, would have abandoned Ellie. Yes. Uh, who's the next person that uh, that we encounter? I think it's, like, uh, Billy or something? Or am I... Bill. Bill. Bill, Bill. Bill was, like... I feel like... like if you called him Billy, he would bitch slap you so hard. <laughs> yeah, 100%. The why is simply too far. Uh, our first queer character that we know for sure okay um, okay which, that's that was really a big question on my mind i'm like is is he gay he keeps saying partner i feel like it was established that, towards the end of that sequence i think it, yeah 100 percent is yeah it's established in a few different ways there's the gay porn that ellie finds at his place but there's whoa whoa, also, whoa you guys found gay porn yeah it, it's a cutscene, mike and you, you didn't share oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, I was like, can you not get the porn? I was like, I keep getting the porn. I'm like, is the is this like a Facebook algorithm thing? Like, what happened? Like, I didn't get any porn. What did they get? Like, porn? oh, we got a gay. Let's show them the porn cutscene. Um, <laughs> but also, uh, you can find notes from Bill's ex, Frank. Yeah, and then mm. don't you also find him at some point? The body. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But he but he says partner the whole time, and I, that to me it seemed so ambiguous. Right. Oh, see, I didn't read that as. As soon as he said partner the first time, I was like, gay? Like, (laughs) but also, like, I think we've already established from my prior conversations about Life is Strange that, like, I am very in tune to (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Also, I mean, I think we all have a a penchant towards going gay when we see it, even if it's not written. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, that's fair. We've all uh, watched enough things and imprinted enough subtext. But also, I would say, if Bill was not gay... If, if he was the exact same character, but he was not gay, Bill does not strike me as the kind of guy that refer would refer to his heterosexual relationship as partner. No. God so no. I think that's what helped in the read. So I've encountered this paradigm before, though, as, as a queer person. I've interacted with, like, ostensibly straight men who, like, will have the closest thing to gay experiences without ever calling it gay. And in my mind, Billy, like, 
He seems because he was like kind of a crabby dude. Like he seems like the kind of person to not really. Did get you just along. say he was kind of a crabby dude? <laughs> <laughs> he was. He was a really crabby dude, and I feel like it wasn't too much of a stretch in my mind for him to be like the kind of guy who's like straight in his own head, but like has gay experiences but would never identify himself as like a gay person so that's why he has this like male partner okay but interesting but i think it harkens back Mm. to like what you said ashley in a previous episode where like your own personal experience changed your read on the situation and i feel like this may have been true 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 true. you know a byproduct of my own my own personal experiences changing the lens through which I, i read bill but yeah, yeah. it's funny, I did not see Bill as gay, even as he was saying partner, because I sort of, especially seven years ago, did not see him through the video game lens that they see queer people through, uh, because he's not a traditionally queer character in a video game. He's not, you know, lispy, he's not <laughs> anything like that, and he's and not... he also- exists, so there's that. Well, yeah, he exists, <laughs> that's a big piece. But also, he's not, like... Uh, kind of a, a buff macho dude either those seems to be the only two options he's you know uh, a much rounder. and he's also the only person you meet along the way that doesn't get viciously murdered yeah again a refreshing change <laughs> thank you naughty dog don't bury your gaze <laughs> so yeah that was uh, I-, I wasn't expecting that but when i did find that note where frank says you know i never loved you uh fuck you all that you know very hateful stuff that you would probably really only say to someone that you had previously loved at least even if you didn't love them anymore but that kind of that feeling that need to hurt that them vitriol. that that need to hurt them yeah. in a way that they hurt you in that really personal way uh i was like uh oh oh, oh f- bill frank i wish i could have known you <laughs> like mm-hmm. yeah this again is probably me just kind of filling in backstory for fun but i also like the idea because it fits well into the world that he kind of did that to forgive this as verbiage but harry and the hendersons him what did, what does that mean yeah, well, can you explain that? Basically, uh, making someone mad so they'll go away because you know you have to leave them. Oh, okay. Uh, oh, so okay. you mean like from the movie where, because it's John Lithgow and he's like yelling at the, at the Bigfoot monster, like, go on, go on, get out of here, you. Like, get. Precisely that. <laughs> exactly. So like uh, the, the way I always read that is the, the note of like, fuck you, I hate you, I never loved you, is with the hope of making it easier for him to yeah, go. Yeah, to create emotional distance. Yeah, exactly. I think Naughty Dog is really careful in its subtle mechanics and the way that it, it tells gameplay through a story and the fact that you can find this note and then you can go and give it to Bill and he'll look at it and just go, I'm good, and just throw the note away. <laughs> and then you can pick it up and try to give it to him again. And like, mm-hmm. uh, he just keeps murmuring to himself, well, fuck you too, Frank. I never loved you anyways. And like, it's just this, oh, Bill, like I, mm-hmm. I like the way that that was built into the mechanics. It wasn't just a cutscene of him finding the note. It was a choice that you made to give it to him and a choice to pick it up again. Uh, and the way that you interact with that character was, it's a small moment, but it, it says so much. And it, I, I really like the way that they work that in. Yeah, Bill is probably the best queer representation I've seen in a mainstream AAA video game. Yeah. Because he is a fully formed three-dimensional character who has a personality well beyond the fact that he's queer and he's not your best friend. He's not instantly likable. He's not feminine. He's not all of these stereotypes that we see. He doesn't get murdered. His queerness is is kind of the least interesting thing about him, which is wonderful and so fucking refreshing. Yeah, for and sure. And he's kind of well-equipped to handle the world around him. He, like he, He's developed like all these 
traps and like he takes ownership of himself and his space and uh yeah yeah so then we move on to henry and sam uh henry and sam are two brothers oh yeah oh yeah. that was god crushing oh. uh, just actually crushing this section this was another one of these sections you know older younger brother and they sort of parallel your experience being an adult and a kid so it's like joel and ellie so you've got this mirror factor going on and then you kind of encounter this worst case scenario of Sam, the little brother, gets infected and then turns and his older brother has to has to put him out of his misery. And like it's another one that's like I had to put down the controller and just sort of sit and be like, okay, I need to like I need a palate cleanser. One of the things that I think is so effective in the way that they do storytelling in this game is that they know exactly that. And I, I kind of keep waxing the game's car. Um, but what, that, what is that expression? What does that mean? What, waxing someone's car is like if you're really like putting a shine on. Okay. I'm stealing that. I love that. Can I use that? I'm going to borrow that expression. Please. Yeah. But like they know that you're going to have that experience. They know that you're going to need a palate cleanser. And so in terms of the storytelling, they build up to these moments, hit you with them, and then it's snap into the next season. Yeah. We get emotional distance from it for the characters, and then we slowly move into the next stressful situation. And these are the quiet moments where we get the conversations between Joel and Ellie that further establish and deepen their bond. It's really effective storytelling. Yeah. Yeah. And like, this is a good example of the ratcheting of the tension. Theoretically, in most action stories, if we take the fact that it's a game out of this, normally you end these big act breaks on big, crazy events. Like, I just played Dragon Age Inquisition, which is a great game, but a lot of the, like, big, big act breaks are like, you fight this big-ass dragon, you know? And that is where they peak story arcs. But this peaks at this awful low, this awful emotional low that's quiet and, like, brutal and infuriating and they they take you on more emotional arcs than they do physical ones and i love that yeah Mm -hmm. yeah in this game the physical highs tend to almost be the midpoints of each section totally you know like in in this instance it's that little suburb section where you've got the sniper coming after you oh i hated that part and you know like that's kind of like the big gameplay high the big physical challenge and then once you pass that, you're you're faced with the, the emotional high and the emotional challenge. Which is just so much more difficult because you can't shoot your way out of it. Yeah, yeah, 100%. And in a medium where that's typically what's asked of you, it comes off so uh, strikingly different. And I think that's so much of what this story is because there's just no way. There's no way for you to escape this world. I didn't realize that until you said it. But yeah, that's the same thing with like the bloater in the gym and then you get past the gym to the house where... Bill has the truck. It's the exact same thing. Yeah. Um, that's yeah. really cool. I, I didn't notice that. So thank you for pointing that out. By the way, the bloater in the gym, I the first time that happened, I literally screamed out loud. Horrifying. <laughs> it's, it's horrifying. I was fully not prepared for no, that. Because I was like, oh, it's going to be a bunch of what the fuck is that? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, I got to say, the bloater still on subsequent playthroughs feels like such a weird moment in the game for me. Oh, really? Because it's the closest and only thing hearken to a boss fight in the entire game. Yeah, yep. that's very true. 
And it's in such a weird place narratively and structurally. That's kind of why I liked it. Yeah, same. But that's what I mean. Like, in terms of, like, the rhythm of the game, it's in such a weird place. And it just goes back to what we've been saying repeatedly through this is finding interesting ways to do the stuff that you would otherwise expect them to. Yeah. Not to mention that I think they use uh, these sort of like interesting contrasts in order to, again, create more tension. Like the idea that you'd fight this thing not in a cave, not in a weird, like, gross sewer, although you do that later, but you fight it in a well-lit gymnasium. Yeah. And that just something about that is just like, you kind of have this feeling knowing the genre that you're like, no, not here. This is safe place. Yeah. Because I can see. Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. The sun's out. What do you mean I'm in trouble? Like, 100%. And like, don't get me wrong, later uh, in uh, another section, I forget exactly where it falls. You do have the whole wandering around in sewers and a, and you can hear it coming down the hallway and it's creepy as all fuck. But they don't repeat that beat over and over and, and they find different yeah. ways to completely carry your expectations. Yeah, for sure. Um, so jumping back to Henry and Sam for a second. Yeah, um, sorry. <laughs> no, no, it's, it's it's a big game. There's a lot to talk I about. Just, I really wanted to talk about the bloater in the gym. Yeah. I'm sorry. No, I, don't worry about it. I, that, that was my high school experience. It was me being the bloater in the gym. That was... <laughs> oh, Travis. <laughs> Travis, you were at my high school way more than you were at yours. That's actually true, to be honest. That I skipped gym class specifically to go to your high school. <laughs> You appear in my yearbook. <laughs> really? That is an actual fact. They're not even joking. I think I appear in their yearbook more than they do. <laughs> okay, okay. Well, we didn't need to rub that in. Thank you very much, sir. It was... Oh, God. Um, but moving along, Henry and Sam... Um, I think what's really important about the Henry and Sam thing is that it follows immediately after Joel and Ellie agree upon the fact that she also needs to defend herself, that she needs a gun because she saves Joel's life. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it shows Joel, if he had not done that, if he had not trusted her to be an adult and that she unfortunately has to be an adult in this world uh, and has to be trusted with these things, that this is what happens. Henry and Sam happens. Sam gets bit. Yeah. Because he couldn't defend himself because he couldn't protect himself. Yeah. That's so interesting. I have beaten the game so many times and put so many hours into this game and I never once made that connection. That's- Super interesting. That's just how I see it anyways. No, that's so smart. And you're absolutely right. It makes me appreciate that so much more. Yeah, yeah, that's that's awesome. I also like they they do a lot of really dynamic things with those characters, too, including like the part where they switch. Joel is protecting the younger brother. Sam. Sam, Yeah. And then Ellie ends up with Henry and you're playing through it, doing the same thing you were doing before, which is protecting a, a kid. But it feels so different. Yeah. yeah. It's like this trading spaces moment where it's like, you just like swap. You're like, Hey, swap kids. Yeah, sure. Let's, let's trade. Yeah. And you have this feeling of like, no, 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 I, I, I should be, I should be over with her though. Ah, it's so frustrating. And I love that because that puts you in Joel's headspace, yeah. right? You also realize that Ellie has started to help you out in battle at this point, And Henry is not Yeah, like they're kind of showing you the fact that Ellie can pull out a switchblade and get someone off of you or throw you, um, some ammo or something. But, uh, Ellie, you know, doesn't. And it's funny, I actually said this on your stream, Ashley, where I realized that um, escort missions showed me I don't want to have kids. Uh, <laughs> like, 
And Ellie should be an escort mission, right? Uh, by all video game logic, she should be an escort mission for the entire game, and that should be frustrating and annoying as hell. But they yeah. make her a partner in your adventure. She is useful and is an ally. Yeah, she's a net positive through gameplay perspective. Yeah, and it reinforces that bond with her. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and I, I think they show you what that looks like when they take Ellie away and you have an actual escort mission because Sam isn't doing anything in battle. Sam, you useless piece of shit. I, I mean, yeah, how dare you, you child? How dare you not fight this war? Pull your shit together. <laughs> Uh, I'd like to apologize to any of our listeners. Um, I don't think you have kids, so it's probably okay. Um. Also, if you guys are replaying the game, I also say go back to the toy store moment when Sam asks if he can pick up the toy and Henry tells him no. Just watch. Watch Ellie. Because what she does is she just goes sort of nonchalantly whistling around, not looking at the toy deliberately. The second you turn your back on her character, she swipes it and puts it in her bag. And even if you turn around for a second and come back, you see that she's taken the toy, it's gone, and it's in her bag. And she starts walking away. That's so cool. It's so good. I obviously, like, had no idea that was coming the first time I played the game. So, like, it was a surprise when it came. And then I was like, I wonder if the continuity uh, tracks. Yeah. And it, it looked like a Power Rangers Megazord, right? Like, that's kind of... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> One other uh, background sort of story that I really, really love in this section. I guess it's not that far in the background, but going through... Uh, forgive me, I think it's like a, a, a beach ship area. Um, and there was that family. Um, Oh-ish and... Yeah, yeah, yeah. You see the story in the background of uh, that family and you find them in that last room. Oh, God, that moment. Honestly, that was my put down the controller moment. Mm, like when yeah. I found them in there, I, I had to stop because I was just like, this is so much. Um, and then knowing what happens later, it's almost like that is a full foreshadow of the idea of like love can't exist here. Yeah. Or like the best way you can love someone here is to put them out of their misery. Oh my god. This game is so dark. I'm It really <laughs> it's is. It's so dark. Oh my I god. do want to point out one more thing with Henry and Sam just because I, mm-hmm. I, it leads into the next part so well where this is where we also start to see who Joel is really and what his backstory is because there's that moment where Henry betrays Joel and Ellie and leaves them to die. Oh, that's uh, right. And runs off, and then they find each other again, and Joel's ready to kill him, and Henry looks right at him and says, he's not going to shoot me because he knows he would have done the exact same thing. He would have left me to die if it meant saving Ellie. And there's that moment where we all have to accept that, yep, that's exactly yep. what Joel would have done. And he'll do worse, frankly. And he will, and that's what I'm saying. It segues so well into the next section where we meet Tommy, and we realize how traumatized Tommy is from what he had to do to stay alive, or rather what Joel told him he had to do to stay alive. Right, Tommy, his brother, who we we met at the beginning, Yes, very briefly, right? Yeah, exactly. One other thing I love about the idea of Henry saying that to Joel, you would have done the same thing to save Ellie, is I just love when writers are fucking bold enough to tell you how this ends. Yeah. Like, halfway through the story, they basically look you in the eye and tell you exactly what's going to happen at the ending. They Ferris Bueller turn to camera and are like, wink! (laughs) Yeah, they they essentially do that, and yet you still don't see it coming. Yeah. Which is amazing. There was also another great moment when you're driving in the car, I think... I think it's after the, you know, Sam and Henry, you know, death scene, whatever. Uh, And I think you find the comic book and then Ellie's like, 
God, I, I hate stories that are, are cliffhangers. And I'm like, <laughs> is, is this going to be a cliffhanger? Because like, I know there's a part two coming. Is the, is the story about to abruptly end on me? You know? That's funny. Yeah, that's a great point. Yeah. So, great I point. love when writers are bold enough to be like, yeah, yeah, you're 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 in a story. We know. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, moving on to Tommy. We see um, what has become of Tommy since uh, they have split up. He's still alive. He's sort of running a community, but it kind of seems like his wife, Maria, is actually in charge. Because, again, the women run this world. Good for her. They really do. <laughs> uh, and he needs to get her permission in order to go on this adventure because Joel says to Tommy, uh, I can't take Ellie. I don't trust my myself with her i'm feeling too attached to her i need you to take her to the fireflies um and we see you know how much this has broken tommy what joel has done what he's still not capable of you know he's capable of murdering and torturing people to stay alive but attaching himself is something that he can't do Mm -hmm. and then we get that ranch house scene and oh that ranch house scene Mm -hmm. oh it's the best that's the thing about this game is that it's just, it's such a smorgasbord of feeling that, honestly... You still need time to process it? I, I think I'm still processing. It's it's kind of the turning point of the story, really. Yeah. It really is. Uh, and again, the efficiency with which they tell everything in that story. They, they pack so much into just a couple minutes. And they talk about in the documentary, if you guys haven't watched it, how hard that scene was for them to do. And how they had to redo it so many times and then came back for another shooting day weeks later to redo the scene because it wasn't what they needed. Yeah, watch that documentary. It's so good. Wait, what do you mean by shooting day? How did they, how did they do the... How do they how do they do this game? Actually, I'm I'm thinking about it. Motion capture, baby. Yeah, the the entire game is motion captured on a soundstage. Yeah. Oh, okay. That makes a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. The detail that they go into is really fascinating because they create the actual environments that they're going to use, and they tried to limit themselves in the way that the environment would have. So, if there's a door there, they make sure to not put the camera there. That you know, it, a lot of things that video games don't really think about because they can cheat the camera wherever they want mm-hmm. uh, and it makes it end up feeling less real because in the back of your brain you know something's not adding up you know and th- that was very new you know th- we didn't have a lot of games that had motion capture like that at the time in 2013 so it- it's amazing how they sort of led the industry and now motion capture is almost a staple of AAA games for a lot of things yeah um, I have so much respect for any creator that is well aware of the audience's literacy yes um, because I think we as creators of media Um, are so obsessed with it and we have such a good grasp on it a lot of the time that we forget that your average person actually has a much better grasp on it than we expect because everyone watches tv everyone watches movies and we understand those patterns very viscerally even if we can't explain them or describe them our brain still knows that pattern and will know when it's off a hundred percent the same way that like kids will learn languages they pick these things up and film is just a language and this is visual storytelling is just a language right as creators we have to learn how to put names to things and how to do them intentionally but audiences see it and they know it and they know if you do a close-up on an object that object is coming back it's all part of the language yeah and they really worked that into this gameplay like it's i'm sorry i I could gush for hours about this game i really do love it i think that's what we're doing i think that's actively the point of this right now Well, let's not gush yeah. for hours, guys. We have we want to get this episode done. Yeah, but, I got to play Last of Us too. I, I got I got a place to be, guys. <laughs> all right, all right, rub it in. <laughs> uh, but I definitely felt that when you encounter Tommy and you're walking through the whole power station and the encampment, because you get this like walking tour of everything that's going on there. It's like, oh yeah, this is this is feeling like they're setting up the bowling pins. Or something's gonna get knocked down here. Like it there's it was good setup. Yeah, yeah. yeah. 
I also think the ranch house scene as an individual scene is just a really good example that there is no high art and there is no low art. There's just no such thing yeah. as a like, sophisticated medium and a non-sophisticated medium. Like That scene is more effective than quite a lot of the Oscar-nominated movies that I've seen of late, you know? Yeah, it's, it's amazing how much they pack into it. It really is. And the performance is also what sells it. And them going back and doing that extra day of shooting, God, was it worth it? Because, man, that finished product. <laughs> yeah, it's possible to put a really, really, really moving story into literally any medium if you work at it. Yeah. For sure. We leave Tommy's. We go to see the Fireflies. We find the first encampment, find out that they're not there. And while trying to escape, Joel lands himself on a big old piece of rebar. Oops. (laughs) Oops, indeed, (laughs) as Tess would put it. (laughs) Then we have this great scene where, first off, you are playing as the completely disempowered middle-aged male protagonist. And this young girl is running around out of your control protecting you. Which is such a shakeup for a video game. Joel, can you fucking walk? Well, then fucking walk, Joel. Oh my god, I, that sequence was so great. I love it. It's such a shakeup of what we normally see in video games. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then that continues on until Joel collapses. Time cut, and we see that we are now playing Ellie. I 100% without reservation was convinced Joel was dead. Yes, yeah, same. Oh, same. Exact Absolutely same. same. We see Ellie meet David, who seems just a little bit off something's not quite right about him i hate this dude um i'd be a little concerned if you didn't you're talking about the scene where she's like i'm gonna put an arrow between your eyes if this like yeah don't you know and then and then he's sort of trying to negotiate being like hey like you know i got stuff like and she and then she's like well shit i need some medicine for joel because he's all fucked up yeah well first off i just also i love the how much is communicated in the desperation with which she says medicine i need medicine and then that's what our cue to the audience of oh He's alive because she looks fine. Yeah. Right. So yeah. I, I I love the efficiency of that. Yep. Joel wakes up, tries to save Ellie. We get that disturbing torture scene and we realize what Joel is capable of in order to protect Ellie specifically. Mm-hmm. And then we get to the scene where you are playing what's the only thing that I would say is close to another boss battle other than the bloater. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, that's right. I forgot about David. It also doesn't feel like a boss battle. Like, it's kind of hard to explain because you're never shooting. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. But God, if it isn't terrifying. Right. <laughs> so here's the thing about David that I really, really like. If you look at the series of individuals you've met, I would argue that David is your first one who fights psychologically. Yeah. Obviously, the psychological elements of other things in that being trapped in a gymnasium with a bloater is going to be psychologically damaging. But this is the first person who understands that and manipulates it. And you haven't actually approached an enemy like that yet. So once again, they don't escalate the physical strength. They escalate the emotional and mental strength. Yeah, especially because... Ellie no longer has Joel to protect her physically or mentally. Yeah. She's completely on her own. She's a tough cookie, though. She's a tough little girl. Oh, for sure. But having a cannibal chase you around a, a burning <laughs> bar is is not exactly like, you can be tough, but that's pretty fucking daunting. <laughs> this is also one of those moments where I knew full well as a man, I'm never going to be able to fully appreciate that scene in the way that a woman would. Mm-hmm. Uh, because there is a weird sexualized aspect to that violence of him saying, I can do whatever I want to you. Yikes. Oh, like it's just yeah. horrifying. Just going to chime in on this and say, you're right. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. Like it made me feel so uncomfortable and unsafe and vulnerable and all these things. And then immediately also reminded me, 
this is also not the situation that you are going to be put in, but there are people who are, and you need to remember that. And I think mm-hmm. that is such a powerful thing from storytelling. I mean, it, Ashley, are you feel? Do you feel comfortable talking about this subject, or yeah? How did you feel playing that? It obviously has the intended effect. Like it's very squidgy and very uncomfortable, and you're mm-hmm. like, oh fuck. The thing that I will give it is that unlike other games, the world never goes there. Yeah. It's the implied threat of it. And the implied threat of it informs you that that is still a concern in this world. Yeah. But it doesn't go as base as, like, when Joel shows up to save Ellie, like, she's crawling away from him while he's, like, hey, 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 like, over her or anything like that, like, which we've seen a thousand fucking times. Uh, She saves herself. Yeah, absolutely. Like, it never goes there. There's just, like, that very gross insinuation. I feel like it puts a lot of uh, trust in the audience. It assumes its audience is intelligent enough to go there. Yeah. You hear that, audience? You know, the game is assuming that you're intelligent. So Somebody has to. (laughs) Yeah, this game is only for people who wear masks. (laughs) Amen. (laughs) One thing I also have to have to shout out about that particular sequence, the part at the end, once you successfully beat him when he's lying on the floor and he's not dead yet, but it goes to a cutscene of you crawling up to him. And I feel like they could have very easily just let you watch Ellie kill him Mm -hmm. because that was going to happen no matter what. But as she crawls up to him, you have to hit a button in order for her to do it. And I thought that was so interesting because as the audience, even though like this wasn't really going to be about whether or not you could hit the button fast enough or at the right time, they still made you do it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Because they wanted you to be the one that did it. You have to take the actions along with Ellie. So they're not going to let you get away with just watching Ellie take a large action. You have to participate. You also don't press the button when she loses control and just keeps stabbing him after he's dead. And I think both of those are a commentary. One is that this is a choice that Ellie made where she could have walked away, but she chose not to. Not to say that I judge her for that choice in the slightest. Nope. But also after that, she kind of loses control and just goes on a mad spree of stabbing this now dead corpse. And because she loses control, you lose control. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. You don't get to choose that. Yeah, Yeah, it just does such a good job of putting you in the character's space by, like, manipulating your mechanics. Yeah, yeah. Um, And it's the same thing as, like, when you uh, move from Joel to Ellie in the beginning of this act, you lose a lot of your powers, you lose a lot of your weapons, like, all the things you spent the whole game building up you don't have anymore. Like, little mechanical stuff like that that it shifts the way you have to approach things and puts you like right into where the characters are. Yeah. You know, it's about consequences. And I think that uh, so much of The Last of Us is, is just this dark take on like a dystopian zombie filled future with so many consequences for Joel and Ellie. Mm-hmm. Uh, so who is the next person that we encounter in the game? Uh, we are now approaching the last Firefly base as they're starting to realize, you know, that, that this is it. Um, we get a really bizarre shift in the dynamics where it's no longer Ellie leading the conversation and trying to pull information out of Joel, but rather the other way around. Uh, You know, we we saw a little bit in previous scenes about how he was starting to open up where he would talk about Sarah a little bit. Ellie would keep poking and he would establish a boundary, but politely and fairly and just say, Ellie, too much? Too much. Right. Or he would defer. He'd be like, oh, we'll talk about it later. Yeah, but it's still at least talking about some aspects. And now we see him completely opening up, but Ellie completely closing herself off because of the trauma that she's endured. Mm -hmm. And maybe even steadying herself for what she knows is about to come when she goes to see the fireflies. So 
we see that real shift in dynamic between the two of them. And then we come across the fireflies. Uh, Joel is knocked unconscious. And when he comes to, he comes face to face with Marlene, who is the leader of the fireflies that we saw at the beginning of the game. Right. Um, And who is also a queen, whomst we stand. (laughs) Uh, Because just again, the women run this world and I love it. She tells him that she's had to make the hard decision that in order to provide either a cure or a vaccine, Ellie will need to be sacrificed. The cordyceps fungus has grown on her brain and the only way to extract it is to extract her brain and it will kill her. Right. Um, Again, we talk about the efficiency of Naughty Dog storytelling in that as they're arguing over whether it's worth sacrificing Ellie's life, Joel makes the point of saying, you don't get to make this decision for her. And Marlene says it's what she would want, but kind of implies that she never asked her, even if that is the decision Ellie would have made. It was still never given to her. It's all implied. It was never outright said, but this is, again, the efficiency of their storytelling and um, how much we get out of this one conversation. Um, so, yeah, Kai, how did you feel playing through that section? Oh, man, so many things. As if the game hadn't already proven itself to be an excellent story, this whole section is stunning because it's such an about-face. I find it interesting that Marlene doesn't evolve. Like, she does from her former character, as you hear through the audio logs. But from the beginning of the game, kind of to the end of the game, she's still making decisions for Ellie like she's not a person. Yeah. Meanwhile, you've gone on this journey, babysitting this kid and telling her what to do, to relying on her. I think it just really illustrates his growth to reconnect those characters and for him to find himself as a polar opposite. Yeah. It is so heavy. Yeah. Marlene is obviously an extremist who is looking for a solution by any means necessary. Mm -hmm. I don't know whether or not she actually believes that Ellie would be willing to sacrifice her life. I don't think that's what she would have wanted is a truth. I think it's a story she's telling Joel so he'll go away. Yes. Yeah. Agreed. Because if she thought that's what she would have wanted. She would let Ellie wake up and let her say goodbye to Joel. There's no reason to knock her out, drag her into the hospital, and then put her on a surgery table unless you're afraid things are going to go wrong for you. And then having, like, Joel, like, armed escorted out of the building, like, this is very much a, like, thank you for delivering the package, FedEx man, go home. <laughs> yeah. yeah. This is not about a a person. It's about a package And all of her behavior points to that. But then you are forced, as Joel, to murder your way through the entire hospital to the surgery room where you kill unarmed doctors to pick her up off of the surgery table and escape. Yeah. Yep. I've heard the critique that this is not emotionally fulfilling because we have spent the entire game murdering our way through areas. (laughs) But I would say that context is everything, especially when we're talking about story. And we've heard stories of the Joel, the guy that existed in between the first scene and where we pick up with Tess. And we've seen glimpses of it. But this is that guy. Yeah. This is not somebody who is fighting to survive, which you could argue old Joel was doing. Yeah. You could make the argument on his behalf that it's a dog-eat-dog world and we're in an apocalypse and you've got to be hard for hard living. It's a living. (laughs) This is not that situation, but this is that Joel. Yeah. He is going full tilt one-man militia against the good guys. 
None of this blood needed to be shed. None of these bullets had to be fired. But he so fully emotionally and physically reverts to the man he used to be before he met Ellie and went through all of these changes, but fueled by those changes? Like, it's so nuanced and layered yeah. character work. Yep. Like, and then he goes to the surgery room. He could just grab her and leave, but he is on a war path and just shoots them. Like, yeah. they're doctors. How many doctors are left in this world? Yeah. They don't have guns on them. They do not pose a threat to him. And he murders them in cold blood. And not just him, you. You have to kill them before you're given the prompt to pick her up. Oh, and, and I don't know about you, but I was looking for a different way. Yep. And there wasn't one. There was actually, guys. I just said to let you know. So if you watch the YouTube cutscenes, then you don't actually have to make those choices. Oh, <laughs> so, smart. Uh, gotcha. That's <laughs> what I was doing wrong. I played the game. I see. Okay. Yeah. Just don't play it. That is a galaxy brain hack right there. How do you guys feel about the critique that it does not give you the choice to not murder the doctors and that players should always be given a choice in video games because it's an interactive medium? Like we've talked about the tyranny of player choice before on the Life is Strange episode, but it's one that I keep coming across. I would I would say the reason that you don't get a choice there is the same reason you don't get a choice to stop stabbing David. Yeah. Yeah. Except it's the opposite. Yeah. It's not because Joel loses control. It's because Joel is making a very calculated decision and you don't get to rob him of that. Yeah. And it's what Joel would do. And yep. doing anything else is not what Joel would do. And you cannot tell a linear yeah. story with yeah, defined that's characters. A, that, I, feel like, I, I, I feel like that is a bad faith critique because that would be like saying, why don't you just have the option to leave the hospital peacefully? Yeah, yeah, because nobody wants to watch Breaking Bad where at the end Walter White is like, oh, you know what? You're right. I shouldn't have been making meth. My bad. <laughs> <laughs> like, that's a shitty story. As much as the interaction makes sense, at the same time, you still want to interact with a really good story. And there are times where a really good story has to do the opposite of what you want it to. Yeah, sure. Mm -hmm. If it makes anyone feel any better, uh, man shaking fist at God is uh, is not a new story as much as uh, people complaining on the Internet is not as well. So, <laughs> <laughs> Wait, people complaining on the Internet aren't always right. Yeah. <laughs> um, first off, Joel kills Marlene. Because kind of for no reason, but for the reason that he states is uh, you'd only come after her. And he has to make sure that nothing could ever come after Ellie again. So he murders Marlene. And I think blood. he's right, though. Yeah, yeah. I agree. Do, like if if he left Marlene in that garage, do any of us think that like Last of Us 2 doesn't open with her knocking on his door with a shotgun? <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. And like if he if he wasn't going to stop at killing the doctors, he certainly wasn't going to stop at killing her. Oh, absolutely. Uh, yeah. No, he's definitely in too deep at that point um it's also at this point where we get the musical alternate ending and if you guys don't know what i'm talking about look up last of us alternate ending and i have it's brilliant i've made you the happiest person you'll ever be because you have now seen that yeah travis don't say anything else nope, about it nope i'm not you just have to look oh. it up. wait what i'm excited there's an alternate ending. there's an alternate uh, ending. not just yeah just uh, oh, I've beaten this game up. five times. I've mentioned that, right? Yes. It's not Wait. in game. It's not in game. It doesn't exist. Oh, okay. It's just something that they Wait. filmed, and we're going to watch it afterwards. You beat this game five times? Yes. 
It's, it's really one of my story. favorite games of all time. I couldn't even beat it once. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I was actually in the middle of a sixth playthrough when the pandemic hit, and I was like, I can't do this right now. <laughs> That's fair. That's fair. But I still made Mike do it. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. Uh, it, you know what? It was it was great, though. I really enjoyed the experience. I mean, Last of Us has a very Walking Dead approach to pandemic situations in that although they exist in the game and they're certainly an obstacle, I don't think the infected are the enemy. No, I no. mean, it comes right to the title, The Last of Us, right? right? That's the enemy. Yeah. That's who were the story is about. There's a reason we're breaking these sections down into the people you encounter and not the big scary monsters, mm-hmm. right? Ooh, look at you all tying things in thematically. <laughs> <laughs> I think what, what separates The Walking Dead from The Last of Us is that Joel never stops walking, turns to the camera and is like, the Last of Us was us the entire time. <laughs> oh, God. Don't get me started on that. I won't watch that show, but the, the books are quite good. But I will say that uh, I found the ending to be particularly interesting in that I feel like there's a very good case to say that he does absolutely the exact wrong thing. There's no moral or ethical support for what he does. Agreed. Except for potentially the argument that the game kind of makes, which is, is humanity worth it? Is humanity worth sacrificing someone for? And repeatedly throughout the game, kind of humans have failed him or failed themselves or failed each other. And in some ways, I think the most beautiful parts of it, like when you encounter the giraffe, which was like, what? Mike Um, is probably so confused right now. I'm I'm very confused. Don't worry about it. I'll explain it to you later. He's like, the giraffe? Is that another boss fight? <laughs> you did, in fact, miss a giraffe. Anyway, uh, the there's such a good argument to like, well, maybe this world would, would genuinely be better without us. Yeah. And that's so, so bleak, but it is the true anti-hero approach, you know? <laughs> so, Kaya, are you saying nature is healing, we are the virus? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's my hot, hot take. <laughs> It sounds like your dog agrees. That's fucking hilarious. But it's true. That's the that's the approach that they take, right? But the but the thing is, then there's the counterpoint of uh, individuals are worth it, though. Right. Yeah. Joel lost his daughter. Yeah. And I think he's sort of determined to make sure that you know he doesn't feel like he failed anyone else at this point, and even if that means costing. Uh, humanity, the, uh, you know, the cure. But he also didn't lose his daughter to an infected. He lost her to a human. Oh, right. Yeah. 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 So right from the very beginning, it's been very much a relationship between Joel and humans. Mm-hmm. So guys, we've learned that uh, that nature is healing. Uh, we are the virus. Uh, the Last of Us is, is a testament to great storytelling consequences and uh, humanity as a as a failure. I don't know. I just want to ask East Review mm-hmm. what you think about that last line. Uh, she says, "Swear to me that everything you said about the fireflies was true." He swears, oh, and she yeah, says, yeah, yeah, yeah. "Okay." Do you think Ellie believes him? That was a lie, right? I've never known. Yeah. yeah. I literally can't decide. I've never been able to make up my mind. That's like the spinning top at the end of Inception, right? It's like this. It 100% it's, is. It's like left open to interpretation at that point. Yeah. Fucking cliffhangers. <laughs> of all of the things that I'm looking forward to in part two, I'm so curious if they answer that question. Yep. Mm-hmm. I will not say anything because I'm partway through Last of Us 2 and I'm not going to say whether you see anything yet or not. Oh, snap. I mean, it's the greatest dramatic question that they would carry on to the second part of the story because everything else is resolved. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Travis, I want to ask you the same question, but I I think I'm hearing that you 
you just what you just your answer is play the last of us too uh no uh my my answer is that when i watched it for the first time i screamed at the tv and i said that's not an ending <laughs> that's not <laughs> an ending <laughs> like ah uh, but it is oh see i was i i wanted to stand up and applause that I, it, it is beautiful i was just angry that is the nuanced character out that video games never have the courage to leave you on oh 100 100 yeah. so many games you know would go the route of like shot of Joel and Ellie from behind as they walk up to the peak of a cliff and you see Jackson, uh, uh, Tommy's town, uh, off in the distance and you're like, oh, there will be a tomorrow cut to black and they're like no sit with this yeah <laughs> i didn't mean to say that i thought it was a bad ending it's just that it upset me in such a way like i had such a visceral reaction Good. i mean you could say that about literally every plot point in this yeah game. that's true yeah, that's totally. absolutely true it's <laughs> At every turn, it just makes you so upset and angry, and it's so good. Yeah. A lot of people have pointed to this as the start of the dadification of games. Um, Happy Father's Day, everyone. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Where we have these male protagonists who are trying to redeem themselves through fatherhood. And despite them being horrible people, this is what redeems them in the audience's eyes. Um, do you guys feel like that's become a thing in video games and what, how The Last of Us plays into it? I think we've seen a few examples of it, but I don't think it's quite a trend in that, like, every once in a while, vampire movies become a trend. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah. We've seen a few really high profile examples of it, obviously God of War being one. Yeah. But I think it's more about the economy of similar ideas than it is about a trend. Yeah, that makes sense. Like how every once in a while there'll be like two movies that come out four months apart from each other and you're like, aren't these the same thing? And you're like, well, they came out within four months of each other so they were clearly being made around the same time so it just kind of coincidentally happened. Yeah. I mean, I'll say this. Video games are overwhelmingly made by men. Yep. (laughs) Yes. For a lot of the men that are doing this character design... I'd assume that one of the closest relationships most of them have had is either with their parent or with their child. So they say, right, what you know. I think this might be just reflective of the idea that, unfortunately, uh, there's a really limited voice in video games right now. Well, it's funny that you say that because it actually, a lot of this story, they had a different story slightly when they started, but it was Neil Druckmann, who is the creative director of the game, who said that having a daughter is what sort of changed his idea of what this story needs to be. Imagine my surprise. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. It's it's, a, it's such a trope. It's like, I was a misogynist, and then I had a child and was like, oh no, women are people too. Yep. Shocking. However, I will give him a lot of credit for the fact that uh, when it came to Last of Us 2, he realized that centering Ellie as the protagonist made it you know, very much a woman's story and that uh, he was not necessarily the person to tell it, so he hired a female narrative lead. Oh, great. I was really excited about that when I learned that only oh, recently. That's incredible news. And if you if you read interviews, like, uh, despite the questionable origins of the story, everything along the way does seem to point to Naughty Dog, you know, despite whatever you might say about their crunch or whatever they've done with the sequel, uh, really centering Ellie as a female protagonist and... Uh, they talk about how originally in Last of Us, a lot of the publishers and stuff wanted Joel to be front and center of, of the marketing. And Neil was very questioning of that, you know, wanting to make sure that Ellie was seen as an equal in this game and was seen as, if nothing else, the the main character of the game, even if she wasn't the protagonist. So, you know, props there. And I, I actually went to a, a presentation that he gave here in Toronto. Oh, cool. That the IGDA put on. 
uh, talking about the rollout of the game and, and the fight to keep Ellie on the package and stuff like that. And I'll definitely give him props for all of that stuff. Like, he definitely stood up for things that I don't think a lot of people would put the effort into. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I feel like in a lot of ways, the entire game is kind of designed to secretly get you on board with feminism. <laughs> yeah. Like, <laughs> if you weren't already there before, I mean, if you look at the arc of the game, the more Joel learns to rely on someone, the stronger Ellie gets. Yeah. Well, we've talked about the core fan of video games sort of being the driving force behind what makes you want to play them. Uh, and I think it's appropriate that it's Father's Day because for me, the core fantasy was um, I'm having a father. Oh, <laughs> Mike, I'm sorry, buddy. No, I'm just, I'm just kidding. But I did, I, you know, I did like the daddy vibes. I was really into it. Um, <laughs> so really the important question out of my mind now is uh, would you guys bang Joel? <laughs> Could Joel wreck your hole? Would Joel wreck your hole? I think I might be the wrong person to ask. <laughs> yeah, I'm super gay. <laughs> there is also uh, the Left Behind DLC, which I do want to touch on briefly because it's just so queer. Uh, so the Left Behind DLC um, starts with Ellie uh, taking care of Joel during that time where he was severely injured. And she remembers her time with Riley, her friend from the military who went off to join the Fireflies. Uh, the two of them end up kissing because they are in love. And then Riley gets bit and Ellie has to sort of watch her turn and they get to spend their last moments together. Um, did any of you guys play the Left Behind DLC? Sadly, no. I did, yes. Uh, well, Ashley, having played it, what did you think? I loved it. I thought it was such a fascinating experiment in having a DLC that's all story focused, pretty much. Like, it's not a three hour journey through another infected zone or anything like that. Like, it's very much focused on their dynamic and their friendship and I was glad that it canonized Ellie's queerness within the text of the game and within the text yes. of the world yes. because up to that point it was just Neil's word yeah it was a Dumbledore situation yeah and that's not enough that doesn't count I shouldn't have to scour the internet to find an obscure interview in order to see that a character is queer. Not to mention, because like we do that ourselves. You you telling us she's gay doesn't help because we're already filling in those blanks ourselves. What we need is actual representation. Yeah. Yes, exactly. And that makes me very excited. Teleporting into the future several years, I think it also makes Ellie the first central protagonist of a triple A video game that's queer? Whoa. Uh, as far as I'm aware, oh, I mean, Mass Effect is arguable. I wouldn't claim Mass Effect because Mass Effect is an avatar game, not a yeah, character Yeah, no, that's very game. true. Yeah, I would that's say the same true. about Dragon Age Inquisition. You can make them either thing, so they're not actually represented. You don't have to press a gay button to encounter the gay content. You are going to experience it whether you want to or not. Exactly. Like, and maybe I'm wrong, like, I'm not a video game historian. I know that th that games exist with queer protagonists, but I'm saying, like, in terms of, like, AAA big studio development, like, on the shelf at Walmart games, I think this is breaking ground, and I think that is amazing. Yeah, I agree. And it gives us so much to look forward to in the sequel when it comes to Ellie's queerness. And also, I'm not sure if you guys are aware, there is a trans mask performer who I believe is playing a trans mask character. Stop. What? Oh my God. Yes. What? Stop. Unfortunately, I will say that a lot of people are unhappy about how the trans character is handled, no. both from reactionary no. dipshits, but also from people within our community. So I, I can't speak to that. I haven't made it to that point in the game yet, but the, the inclusion is nice. So, I mean, play it for yourselves. I, I haven't gotten there yet. How dare you get me both excited and sad. <laughs> Perfect way to end a Last of Us podcast. <laughs> right? Yeah, is to introduce someone I might love and then kill them. 
So before we go, uh, I'm going to ask our classic age-old question. I mean, Mike, have you been playing anything else? Or is it, it sounds like it's just been Last of Us, right? It's just been The Last of Us. And and quite frankly, I'm, I'm, I think I'm going to need a little bit of a break after this one. I don't blame you. Uh, yeah, yeah. It's, it's a lot. Um, mm-hmm. Ashley, uh, what you playing? Last night, I just finished playing Soma, yes. which was a game that I was not emotionally or mentally prepared for whatsoever. <laughs> um, I went into it quote-unquote knowing only that it was a horror game set on a space station Mm -hmm. turns out it is not set on a space station but it is a horror game and it scared the shit out of me multiple times which i expected because i'm a chicken shit (laughs) but what i did not expect was that it was so emotionally resonant that it caused me to cry three times great fucking game incredible experience could not recommend it enough and when i wasn't playing that i've just been playing a lot of apex legends nice well i mean hey i already mentioned this to you on your stream but um if you want a good horror game set on a space station and has queer characters you gotta play pray girl yeah i gotta look into that oh pray please i want to watch you play it so bad um Okay, so, uh, Kaya, what you playing? I'm playing The Witcher 3 Wild Hunt right nice. now. I know I'm nice. way behind. Uh, it's very good, very beautiful. I will say, now that I think about it in contrast with Last of Us, it has a very similar arc for the main character in a fathery kind of way. But if Last of Us is a scalpel, uh, The Witcher 3 is a broadsword. <laughs> <laughs> for sure. With that said, though it doesn't have like the nuance of story, it's also still very fun and so, so beautiful. Cool. Kai, is there anything, any recent projects you want to pitch before you go? Yeah, so uh, just the other day, uh, I had a show come out on CBC Gem. It's called Queens. Oh, snap. My partner watched that show. He, he loved it. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah. Um, it's, an, it's a very, very fun show uh, written by uh, a drag queen in Toronto called Fisher Price. <laughs> um, and it is a genuine delight. It's like six 10-minute episodes. Uh, so it's real, a real fast watch, but it's like a murder mystery plus drag queens. It's fun and gay, and I recommend it. Awesome. Awesome. And Ashley, where can we find you for streaming? I am at Ashley versus uh, VS, Ashley VS on Twitch. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining us, both of you. Mike, thank you so much. Mm-hmm. Hopefully you take a nice long break after this. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Go play Stardew Valley. Yeah. That sounds good, actually. Yeah. yeah. And, th- and thanks for joining us, guys. Kaya, Ashley. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, this was fun, as always. All right. Thank you, guys. This has been Rainbow Road. If you liked this episode, follow us on Twitter at Rainbow Road Pod or get in touch with us for future episodes at RainbowRoadPodcast at gmail.com. And a big thank you to all of our guests today and our producer, Matt Kinnar. Thanks for listening to Rainbow Road. <laughs>